I'm Colin Martin, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm here with Cal and Williams. Cal, we've got a new segment we're debuting this week that I like to call Asking Questions. <laughs> I was, I was, <laughs> was going to try to find you saying Asking Questions in a commentary, but it was a, just a Herculean task to try to find, to comb through all of your grandiloquence and, and locution to find one specific phrase. So. And, I, and I haven't said... Ask questions. I'm pretty sure you did. I think I must have done so at some stage. I sure. mean, you say interrogate. I do interrogating the defense. Yes. I feel like I feel like at least once I've heard you say something along the lines of asking questions. So, huh? Darwin Quintero huh. asking questions. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure that, that's a fairly common phrase. Yeah, right. right. Okay. So we sent the call out on Twitter for people to submit questions, and we're going to do our best to answer as many of them as we can here, sort of time permitting. I got to sort of keep an eye on this so it doesn't get ridiculous. But we've got a lot of great ones. Let's just get right into it. Uh, Burke Ermintrout uh, asks, Ike Para, Defender of the Year? Certainly in the conversation. Yes. Um, if you look at how um, sternly the the back line has has turned things around compared to the previous two years. Yeah. Um, Ike had a, had a humongous task to come in and um, command and, and, and be uh, the focal point of, of a, a rather wayward back line in previous years. Now, don't get me wrong, he's had help with the emergence of Chase Gasper and Romain Metaniere as well, and Michael Boxall's been in good form for the majority of the and campaign. And Ozzy Alonso in front of him. Ozzy in front of him has been wonderful, you're right. Um, I get the feeling Miles Robinson in Atlanta may very well be amongst that conversation as well. Yeah. I think Anton Tinnerholm at uh, NYCFC has had a great year. Also quietly going about his business as well because he doesn't he doesn't really get a lot of headlines because of the attacking players. Um, I think um, Segura at LAFC yeah. has also had a tremendous campaign as well. So, um, yes, I, I, I certainly in the conversation for sure. Do you think there are the, I, the the people you listed were the people I have also listed here, basically? Um, possibly Chano also along with yeah, Chano has been good. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I think there is that debate. I was listening to Extra Time and they were talking about the only issue being that some of these guys will split the vote. You know, like if you're looking at LAFC, you're like, well, Walker Zimmerman and Eddie Segura, like who, you know, and Zimmerman was out for longer, I think. And so Segura has been quietly doing his job, but Tinnerholm and Chano are kind of the same thing. You're like, well, who, who are you holding responsible in that way? In a way that I think Ike has sort of established himself as the, like the tip of the spear when it comes to the defense, you know, for, for Minnesota United. Um, is there anybody else? Like, I, I think that Florian Youngworth has been quite good uh, in that difficult system and has sort of been sort of the rock there. So I don't think he probably elevates the level of defender of the year with this. But it's, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to go and look at some defenders because I think we don't always spend a lot of time with them. Yeah, absolutely. We, we should spend more time on, on defenders. They don't get anywhere near the amount of love they should do, particularly in this league as well. Um, but if you think about the task that was bestowed upon Ico Parra, um, to anchor what was, let's be honest, an absolutely putrid back line right. over the course of the last two years. Um, he, he cemented it. He's absolutely done everything and more to make it one of the best back lines in Major League Soccer. And, um, yeah. you know, as you mentioned quite rightly, so Ozzy Alonso ahead has helped, no doubt. Um, but there's all, all those players that we mentioned ahead of them 
a lot of them have got a fabulous holding midfielder as well. Miles Robinson has Eric Remedy ahead of him. Sure. Uh, Tina and Chano have Alexander Ring ahead of them, you know. Um, so I, I just, I, I think that Iko Parra had the biggest task ahead of him. And I think he, he's passed it with flying colours. And, and for me, as I say, um, absolutely in the conversation of MLS Defender of the Year once again. Yeah, I think it'll really come down to Robinson and Opara. And I think that Robinson has on his side youth. Yes. Um, the, obviously, the, the glitz of, of Atlanta as reigning champs. Um, I think Ike has on his side the, as you said, the sort of narrative element of the defense is atrocious. And he is has been the biggest part of turning that around. So. Uh, good question. Uh, next one is from, uh, I'm just going by Twitter usernames here. So renting out Westbrook's head, which I believe refers <laughs> to Russell Westbrook. Um, he wants to know Miguel Ibarra odds. He will return in 2020. What is his status with the team generally? I think is, 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 I mean, I think, and I think going forward, uh, Michael Vranny was another person who asked a sort of similar question. I think it's a thing that a lot of longtime fans are thinking about, you know, they saw, uh, Christian Ramirez moved and Miguel and, and Christian always sort of went together. Miguel had a huge, really, uh, really bad 2017 season, like a tough season, first season, great second season, uh, in MLS. And this year, although he's never, I mean, he's never stopped working like out there on the pitch during games at, at the train facility. Um, he's, he hasn't been productive enough in terms of, of, of final balls and creating chances and things like that. Um, in the face of other talent coming in right now to my mind he's he's a great depth piece right now uh and when it's it's clicking for him he can challenge for a starting job like if he's on form and if he's looking good he's going to challenge an mls for a, a starting job i think that as far as a question of i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of mileage left to go in this season who knows what happens um I think if things stay the way they are, I think a lot of whether he is back next year will come down to him and a question of what he wants. I think this front office has shown um, a desire to treat people right and to get them to places that they uh, that they want to be. And so I think the question will be, does Miguel feel like he wants to fight for you know a, a position here um, on a team that right now looks very good? Uh, or does he want minutes? Does he want that, that time out on the field doing something maybe for a team that doesn't, uh, that it's kind of weird to say it. Minnesota is not a, is not a contender in some ways. Like, I mean, obviously Minnesota United, there's, there's very little separating them from falling out of the playoffs right now. But, um, you know, so I think the thing is that if he wants to stay, he will, he will challenge for that starting job week in and week out. He will come in when, when he's needed. Um, but I think a lot of it comes down to what is, what does he want to get, uh, out of the next several years of his career? Yep. Correct. I, I have no uh, qualms with, with what you've just said there, to be honest, Steve, I think it's up to Miguel Ibarra. I think by his standards, he knows this year hasn't been good enough. He would have wanted to have have kicked on from what was a tremendous campaign from him last year. Mm -hmm. And I must admit, I fully expected him to. I thought he was going to go 10 and 10, yep. which is exactly what Adrian Heath has always said he wants from the players behind the center forward, is if you do 10 and 10, you've had a great season, in my, in, in my opinion. Yep. Um, I don't think Miguel Ibarra has done uh, enough this year. Uh, and as I said, I think he even he will admit it. Um, not for the one for trying, as you said. He, puts, right. he he wears his heart on his sleeve and he gives everything for the football club. He loves Minnesota United. He loves the Twin Cities. Um, I would assume he would, if, if everything works out, he would want to stay here. Um, but also he has to think about, you know, he's 29 now. Um, you've got to be playing for the next couple of years yeah. towards the, the tail end of your career when you get into your, you know, uh, mid-30s and whatnot. Um I, I just wonder what he what he does. Do, does he go elsewhere? Um, 
I, I, if he goes elsewhere, I don't think it'll be in Major League Soccer. I think it'll be abroad somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, who knows? Because I know there are a couple of admirers in Major League Soccer. So we'll wait and see. I, I will always wish Miguel Ibarra the best. Yeah, um, he, he's terrific a guy. tremendous human being. Um, works his tail off. Um, but as I said, um, through his standards, he knows this year hasn't been good enough. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a he's a he's sort of one of those players who's a situational player. I think when the situation is right and when his, uh, whatever it is, it's not, ever, again, it's never his work ethic, but whenever this, the needs meet what he has to deliver, he can step up and deliver. Um, and so he's one of those players like who could have a long, a, a long rest of his career playing in a lot of different places, mm. um, providing those kind of moments when, when needed. So, and again, all, you know, whatever happens with Miguel, he's been one of the rocks of this team through the, its first several years in MLS, and that's oh, always important. And, so. and even before Steve in the yes. NASL, you know, yeah. he was uh, the man. And I just, you know, that there's, <laughs> I think about all the players on this Minnesota United squad. There's one player that I want to score a goal in front of the Wonder Wall in Major League Soccer. I, I know <laughs> so he did much. it. I know he did it in the Open Cup against New Mexico, but to, to score a league goal and, and particularly with how tight the standings are, yeah. such a vital, important goal. Uh, I, I just wish that, and I hope that he gets an opportunity to to experience that. You know, scoring a goal of vital importance in front of the Wonder Wall. Because look, he's done so much for football in this community, and I just, I, I just hope he gets whatever the moment is that he's craving. Because he's a tremendous human being. Yeah. All right. Shane Eisner asks, "What is Cal's favorite phrase? Simply not good enough, or an emphatic absolutely something? Which do you prefer? The latter, for sure. Absolutely, something. whatever. Gorgeous. Yeah. Sure." Um, I was going to go with a less often heard on the broadcast, but frequently heard in the office, absolute carnage. <laughs> <laughs> one of one of your go-tos for, for many situations. Well, it's because, let's be honest, life can be utter carnage, can't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and especially with the way we are right now, with all these games coming left, right, and center, it is utter carnage right now, isn't it? Every every week, I think we talk about how this week is going to be absolute carnage, so... <laughs> Uh, I, I think that's, I think that's his, I think that that's his real go-to. So, all right. Uh, dr- uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's Driz TDJ. I don't think that's one word. I don't know. Anyways, um, they want to know, can the loons compete with the LA teams on a smaller budget? Yeah. Look where they are now. Yeah, absolutely. LA galaxy have spent an absurd amount of money and Minnesota United are ahead of them and are amongst the conversation um, that the LA Galaxy have found themselves in over the last couple of years. So um, absolutely they can, yes. Yeah, I think, um, as I was thinking about this, I feel like uh, the budget on the pitch actually matters considerably less in this discussion than the budget for everything else Mm. within an organization. That I think if you look on the pitch, there are mechanisms for making the most out of of low-cost things. I mean, you can look at Minnesota United right now and the success with Mason Toy, Chase Gasper, and Hassani Dotson as as super draft picks. Um, And then certainly Dane St. Clair going forward. I mean, he's young to be doing anything right now, but has looked the part when he's gotten the chance. And then there's the academy, which is not, I mean, it's not a robust enough pathway for Minnesota yet. We're just getting to U17, but eventually it will be there. But you look at Dallas and Red Bulls, both teams with generally low payrolls that have had success by leveraging, um, you know, their, their academies and things like that. I think it's not, I think that the budgets that, that you, what you see is that it, it, it's, there's a lot of uh, money spent on, on things that are not the team. And that stuff uh, can, can make a big difference in terms of in the long run of attracting players and just the idea of who is a glamor team. I mean, again, the LA galaxy are always in the conversation as the glamor team, despite not 
succeeding all that much recently. Well, it's Los Angeles, know, isn't it? Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. So LAFC, Atlanta, these are teams that they spend a lot. Um, it shows in in what they produce as far as for everything, marketing, like all of that, like their 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 penetration to those markets. It's like that is that is where the budget I think makes a lot more difference in a lot of ways than on the pitch. Like if you spend a lot of money, you have to spend it smartly. I think LAFC has spent it very smartly. I think Atlanta on the pitch. I think Atlanta spent very smartly initially and then there's it's been mixed results with you know some of those players you know obviously it's far from over for guys like you know barco or or, or pity but you know like they didn't pay off as immediately as it looked like maybe they would well and they spent a lot more money on those guys than has ever been spent on the entire minnesota united roster right so uh you know so there's it's there's economies of scale involved here but i think that absolutely absolutely the small market teams can compete well, look, let, let me give you an example of a small market team doing well. I remember commentating on the 2015 MLS Cup um, for the world audience, and um, uh, it was between Portland Timbers and Columbus Crew. Now, Portland Timbers have spent a lot of money, no doubt about it. They've just sure. not made the flashy signings because, again, I think it can be a little bit difficult at times to to attract a, a big star name sure. uh, to a city that's not known uh, across the world. And Portland fits that category. But then when you go there, you think, oh, wow, this is great. Columbus Crew were the opponents. Mm -hmm. And Columbus Crew um, had Ethan Finlay on the right-hand side that year. They had um, Hector Jimenez in the central midfield. Kai Kamara was probably the most expensive player at the time. Mm -hmm. um, Federico Higuain uh, was involved. Uh, no doubt money was spent, but not an absurd amount to the right. point where you would think of comparing it with LA Galaxy and, and LAFC and, and Atlanta and, and such and such and such. Um, but yes, so to, to answer the question, yes, they can compete, absolutely. Yeah. All right, uh, a young man named Billy Rogers, who I expect big things out of, uh, and um, I don't know, he seems nice, and Spidey Bat, who's one of my absolute favorites, uh, Twitter follows, ask, favorite loons moment this season? What has been your favorite moment, moment so far? Um, maybe some candidates first, and then we can figure out what you really feel like is the moment. Would you like to hear my candidates first? Sure. Okay, because it's tough. I, I spent some time looking at this. I think um, Vito's penalty save against Dallas as a moment. Again, we're talking about moments. Um, I think the the win over the Timbers in the Open Cup uh, in Allianz Field, that moment, I think the Vito moment was was great as a, as a, a game moment uh, for anybody watching anywhere you could see how incredible that was i think the feel in the stadium in that timbers win was maybe one of the the, the, the best feelings um now some dark horse candidates for me uh, the third goal to put away the game against the quakes in stoppage time uh oh, Malino, yes. honestly stands as a moment of feeling like because i think that a lot of times if you're looking at the team not just as this is a fun thing to go do but like trying to read the tea leaves about where the team is headed to see them uh, you know, the, the, the game was two one. Uh, they could have outlasted the quakes. Uh, they had stood up to a bunch of challenges late. Vito had a couple amazing saves. Um, and they could have just rode into the night two one and been okay. But to see Mason, you know, get that tackle to get the ball back. And then I believe it was Ike, uh, sending yeah. it over to Molino to score that, to just ice the game in stoppage was like, it really made me feel like that was just such professional football. Like it was mm -hmm. such, it was like a killer instinct. And I loved that. And then my final moment, which I think this is actually my moment is, uh, Hassani's first goal in MLS. Um, just as a sheer moment of, I love to see young guys step into the moment like that. And it was so exciting. I think there was the single moment that I felt 
most immediately excited about. I'm going to play your call of that goal. Um, well, well, first of all, it's not my call; it's Asani's goal. But we'll we'll go for that. Yeah, no, no, I know no, what you mean. Yes, yes, <laughs> but like, but I feel like you as the conduit of uh, of the emotion of that moment was mm. was terrific in this situation. I, I liked that you have, you have a very, you know, your, your, your cry of a call is fantastic. And then in the, the, the sun part of Dotson, you like, <laughs> like wrenched it up another notch in there. And I think that really sort of captured that feeling of when a, a young player gets their first goal. And I think it was an incredible goal, you know, to come off that, that rebound and just run up to it, like on the half volley and just yes. stab it into the goal was fantastic. And it's, you know, it's augured great things for him. He's obviously, he's now had three goals in MLS, each one a banger. Mm. It's incredible. Uh, I think as a singular moment, that was my favorite. Is it any of those for you or maybe something else that uh, you've thought of? Well, well, first of all, the the goal there, um, as you mentioned, um, I sort of tend to go up a level because it, it's a goal that's riddled in surprise Yeah, because I just didn't, expect it right I didn't think Asani would rifle it from because the angles against him as well he hits it with the outside of the right foot and it has to bend back in you know it's such a tremendous strike so yeah. um yeah that that's certainly up there for sure I think that the two that stand out for me Steve number one was was beating Portland in the Open Cup semi-finals I actually um so I you know we didn't commentate on the game because we don't have the, the rights to do the Open Cup and um I um I was watching it to the right of our broadcast booths in a little area with um my missus and a couple of friends and whatnot. And um, they all went after the final whistle. I think they might have gone to the brew hall or something. And I said, I'll meet you down there. I just need a couple of minutes. Um, and I just sat and watched the stadium slowly empty. And people were still singing. People didn't want to leave. Um, it, it was such um, a moment um, that, that I, I just felt so at ease and I felt such peace because we've been through hell and back with this franchise since they've come into MLS. There's mm -hmm. been a lot of ups and downs. And to achieve something of that magnitude um, was, was beyond special. And as I said, I do remember just sitting in the little area and just watching the stadium just peacefully empty. You know, that, that was, that was a, a fabulous moment. But the, the one for me, I would say, Stephen, and I think it takes some beating, is probably the first goal at Allianz Field was, was Ozzy yeah. Alonso's goal. Um, People had waited a lifetime for that moment. They yeah. really had. And and, and I, I know I've said this on previous podcasts, but I just remember finishing what, whatever I had said and um, or, or being in the midst of it anyway and looking down um, at the seats that are in front of the commentary box and seeing um, a, a young chap in his dad's arm. This, I think this kid must have been about four or five, you know, yeah. and, and just punching the air, you know, and, and screaming... Um, to his heart's content, and his dad was, you know, fist clenched, punching, the, you know, and I just thought, what an unbelievable moment that that father and that son will will cherish now for the rest of their lives, you know, and and I thought, this is why we play the game, this is why we love this game, because it provides moments like this, and, and I know every sport ha has moments that they provide, um, you know, hi historic situations and moments that you'll never forget, but none more so than football for me, and, and maybe I'm being a little biased there, but... Um, 
that moment w- was was unbelievable. Yeah. And um, as I said, people have waited a lifetime for it. Yeah. And um, I've never seen the stadium erupt. And because of the the velocity of the strike as well um, from Alonso, he, he hit it with with such power. Um, and it just meant so much to everybody in the stadium. So that that probably for me was a, was the moment so far. Yeah, it's it was extremely resonant, and I think that uh, it was one that I had also considered. I think the problem for me is that I was so sort of caught up in the moment myself that I, you know, it was the whole thing was so emotional that day, and so you know, so full of energy that like I tend to I think I maybe discount it unfairly because things that happen later as I've sort of settled in and I have a better awareness are more more exciting. But I will say that it, it persists with me because every time Ozzy has it around the edge of the box, I'm like, hmm. just just do it. Just, yeah. just just rip another one in there. <laughs> so uh all right, Scott Rainey, uh who's somebody, I don't know, he's a guy. Hey. I I don't know. Uh, very talented designer, uh, fantastic guy. What, and I think this is a great question for him. What is the best outfit a manager can wear on match day? For, for me, suit and tie. You like, you like your classic suit yeah, and tie. Yeah, suit and tie, absolutely. Okay, I, uh, to me, this is truly one of the pities of MLS being largely a summer league because I think it robs us of like some of the fashion I appreciate from EPL. <laughs> like, I love the Pep Guardiola sweater game. Yes. And I love, a, I love his like the white tee with the crew neck, like just a real simple classic look. I think, uh, I think the suit uh, with, the, with this, the vest not the not necessarily a button down vest, but a sweater vest type thing is is a good look too. Um, you know, so there's there's a couple of different looks that are good out there. I feel like you look at the EPL and you just see how good those guys look, and I'm like, we just can't we can't live up to it. So um, <laughs> yeah, I like I like a good sweater. Uh, I like the as you've hit me to the the buttoned up uh, undershirt with no tie and a sweater. Yes, yes, is a good look. So um, I mean, I'm I'm always a sweater guy. I think so. Yes, I like a good sweater. Yeah, I <laughs> yes. must admit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Matt Angstrom wants to know. Are we going to see uh, Chacon play anytime soon? Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he was uh, in the matchday roster for Kansas City away. Okay. Um, might be a little bit too soon. Sure. And I don't think it would be very fair to play him in the Open Cup final as his first game. Probably not. Uh, and also, let's bear in mind, you know, you can only have five internationals as well, so that would be asking a lot, and it's highly unlikely. Sure. Um, and then, you know, maybe away at LAFC. Um, so any time over the course of the next two weeks, I would assume. Yeah. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was in the roster for away at Sporting KC. Yeah. I think, I mean, he's not, he's not going to be, he's not a day one starter. Like mm-hmm. he is, mm-hmm. I mean, aside from the fact that most guys who come in uh, usually start in, usually get into the 18 and get some minutes and then, you know, maybe have a chance at starting. He's also 18. He'll, I guess he's 19 tomorrow or something yes, like yes. that. So, um, that's also very young. Uh, you know, for that's younger than most of the other rookies we have playing this year. So, uh, who they took plenty of time to sort of ease them in, uh, you know, like Hassani, he did actually play in the first game of the season, but yes, only a few minutes toward the end. So, um, I'm really though, sort of on, on that note, I'm very compelled by the idea of having, looking at that bench and seeing, having, having Ibarra, Chacon, Finlay and Toy as, you know, subs for that, all that, that entire starting four. And that they give you a lot of really interesting, uh, especially energy off the bench, uh, from those guys, all either fast or young, energetic guys. I think that's, uh, I think that's really tremendous. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be in the next couple of weeks. Again, you likely you're going to see him right in the, in the 18 yeah. and then he'll make his way in. So, all right. Uh, Sean Beckman asks, 
how does it work? This is a good question. I don't know that I have a definitive answer for this, but I have an observational answer. Uh, how does it work with players and coaches all speaking different languages? What impact does that have in practice and, and on the games? Um, so we, meaning you and I, Steve, are very fortunate we get to watch training a fair bit. And what the club has armed themselves with is an abundance of different people who speak a plethora of languages. Yeah. And um, I think Adrian Heath knows Spanish because he played in Spain for a, for a while. Um, I believe uh, one or two of the backroom staff also speak French. Uh, Amos McGee, I believe, speaks very good French. Yes. Um, oui. And uh, I, I think basically what it... So, yeah, I guess it's only an observation as well from myself, but, but what I have seen is that everybody sort of chips in. Everybody helps in explaining what the coach wants, what the manager expects, mm -hmm. and um, what the, the expectations are, I guess. So, um, but Adrian Heath, as I said, he knows a couple of languages that the other two, uh, the other uh, coaching staff, I beg your pardon, um, Mark Watson, Ian Fuller, and uh, John Pascarella all, all, all know. Um, I would say little bits of other languages that are important to the game. Um, but also as well, what I will say, and I've noticed it's not, not only here, but around world football, because this happens all, all around the world, right? Um, football is a universal language. It's a language unto itself, yes. And literally, you only have to make a certain motion with your hands to a player who you may not speak the same language to. And if they've played this game long enough, yeah. they'll understand. They'll, yeah. they'll know what you mean. And it may not happen straight away. It may take two or three tries on the training field. But eventually everybody gets it because it's the same game all across the world. Yeah. It is a universal language. Yeah, you see the guys doing, they'll sort of like arc their hands. They'll sort of do like, yes. you go around this guy, go out, you know, it's like go forward, fall back. I mean, you need a, f a few scraps of language here and there. And then there's guys like, like Vito speaks a bevy of languages. Yes, yes. And I believe the same is true of Jan Gregush. I think he mm -hmm. speaks several. Um, and then guys have like, you know, they pick up little bits and pieces of different, you know, you see discussions happening between guys. Um, Darwin's, command of English has actually gotten pretty good. It I has, think. yeah. Um, he's, you know, obviously not at the point of necessarily offering long-form answers to interviews. I was going to say, we still like can't that. get an interview from him. Though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you see him talk, speaking English in a casual way with 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 other players on the team. Um, and again, you, I think you're right. It's it's a, There's a lot of nonverbal. You need to get somebody's attention, and then you need to sort of, like, indicate what you want out of it. And mm. there's only a few words that you need for that. It's You know, it's amazing how quickly... You know, especially among guys who have a common goal and a common destination uh, as a group, that they figure out how to communicate with each other one way or another. Um, and I think it's it's kind of one of the beautiful things about the game. Yeah. Uh, question from a man named Michael Shields, um, young a young ginger. Uh, he'd like to know: Does Cal actually think he looks like Conor McGregor? No. <laughs> no, not at all. I just let my beard grow out one, right. one day, and it, it, it was very Conor McGregor-esque. I don't actually look like him, nor sure. would I want to either. But um, We that... should issue a challenge to Conor McGregor if he wants. Maybe you guys should fight or something. So. Oh, no, 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 okay. no, no. All right, let's move on past that inside joke. Uh, <laughs> Carl Bates asks a good question. Which non-MNUFC player is your favorite to watch at the moment in MLS? I like this question a lot. Ooh. And uh, I started making I started making my list and I found you will not be surprised to find the common thread of of uh, of players here. Hold up. Uh <laughs> Montero, uh one of my absolute favorites. Uh he's just getting back from an injury that's kept him out for a while, but prior to the injury loved watching him. Diego Chara, 
uh, Mark Anthony Kay mm. um, and Johnny Russell is one of my faves actually to watch. So Johnny Russell, really the, the lone winger. Everybody else, they're all that uh, central midfield role. But well, so. okay. <laughs> um, are you president of the Holding Midfielders Appreciation Society? I, oh, I am. <laughs> <laughs> You're the secretary. Uh, anyways, um, wow. I mean, there's so many players. I mean, Vela is super fun to watch, right? But he's so good, it's almost sickening. So well, <laughs> it's almost sickening. Disgusting. Um, Diego Valerio said he's too handsome. So <laughs> strike him. I would say for me, and maybe this is a cop out, but so be it. Um, my favorite player, because he was a favorite player of mine to watch in, in a previous league as well, is probably Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, just because he, he is what he Zlatan. is. <laughs> um, and, and, and I just. You know, because the way he is, his stature, he shouldn't be as good as he is. He, he shouldn't sure. have the um, the actual ability to, to do a lot of what he what he does. But um, I, he's always been a favourite of mine to watch. Um, I, I remember actually commentating on a game back in the Premier League a couple of years ago. And I can't remember if it was his first season. I think it might have been his first season with Manchester United. And it was my first Manchester United game I was doing that season. I think it was away at um, Crystal Palace or West Ham or what, someone like that, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and I just remember being um, awfully giddy um, that Zlatan Ibrahimovic was playing. And uh, to the point where my co-commentator at the time was like, you okay? Good. <laughs> um, and, and I was like, yeah, no, I'm you good. I'm good. I just, yeah. you know, yeah. really quite like watching Zlatan play. And um, and, and I remember um, the ball came in from the right-hand side. And I just remember, as you do as a commentator, you're like, you take a breath um, and you sort of set yourself for whatever's about to happen. Either a defender comes and clears it or, or there's an effort on goal. And I just remember Zlatan Ibrahimovic unleashing this monstrous header with the big old forehead that he, that he has. And it flew into the corner. And I just remember... Honestly, just remember the ball coming in, him making connection. I just remember being like, Zlatan, Manchester United lead here, whatever it was, you know, and I was just like, oh, oh, my word of the moment. <laughs> As a commentator, I was just like, oh, yeah. this doesn't get any bigger or better. You're commentating on Ibrahimovic scoring a late winner for Manchester United in the Premier League. It was like, oh, what a moment. So, pretty good. Um, Zlatan, for me, is, right. is uh, my favorite player for sure. And now here you are doing a podcast with me. Uh, just think of all the places you've been. Uh, Carl Bates has a follow-up question for you, which is uh, your favorite broadcasters across sports, not necessarily limited to soccer, but you know, if, if it's soccer people, <sighs> um, well, th there's a list for sure. There can't be one. I think that would sure. be naive to just have one. Um, I grew up listening to, um, a couple of commentators, N number one for me though, um, very much because he was the voice of my era was, was Martin Tyler. Martin Tyler is is a humongous um, inspiration to me, um, and 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 is someone who who um, <laughs> he is the voice of, of world football. He is. I don't care what people say. People have been saying he's been, um, you know, perhaps um, people have, have suggested he's not as good as as he once was. Um, I I just for me he is the voice of football. Um, Clive Tilsley is also another commentator who I grew up listening to watching England games he was his voice was always very synonymous when England were playing in those big Champions League games as well mm -hmm. um and Peter Drury Peter Drury's use of the English language is is absolutely out of this world um and also I, I guess another one I could throw in there as well is I told you there was a lot um is, is Arlo White and even John Champion I guess as well but um Arlo um 
I, I wouldn't be here without Arlo. Arlo was the one who, not convinced me, but he suggested I should come over here mm -hmm. um, when he was the voice of the Sounders. I had a, a chat with him when I was, um, when it first really became a, a possibility that I could come over here. And um, I, I asked him what it was all about. And, and you know, he was a, um, a chap I was familiar with. I was at the BBC at the time and he had left the BBC to go out there. And um, I asked him, you know, is it all it seems to be? And, and he said, you've got to get out here. So, so Arlo had a big, um, big influence on my career. Outside of football, Al Michaels is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, and the one who, who I wasn't aware of until I moved to Minnesota because I didn't watch much hockey and I still don't watch enough hockey, but Doc Emmerich, ah. um, again, just the mm -hmm. use of the, the language. And I was watching a game, um, oh, I don't know, maybe it was last year or the year before. And he, I was absurdly jealous and, and um, <laughs> I guess I was obscenely inspired at the same time because he... He used, um, I think it was something like 48 different phrases in one broadcast to describe a passing of the puck. Sure. And I just thought to myself, my word, you are a wordsmith. <laughs> um, and I love words, Steve. Yes. I, when, I, when I see a word and I don't know what it is, I have to instantly go and see what it is and how sure. I can use it and, and, and in what context. Um, but yeah, Doc Emmerich is absolutely up there. What a tremendous broadcaster he is. Yeah. Uh, it, this question was not asked of me, and I'm not a broadcaster, but I want to give a shout out to Jim Peterson, who is the color commentator for the Wolves. Yes. Um, as Big some, old Jim. <laughs> uh, yeah. When, when I got into, I, I was thinking about this recently because when I got into basketball sort of more seriously than just being a fan, but really thinking about it, um, there's a number of things that I don't know that I would have gone very far without. One of them is Synergy Sports, who do do they would break down plays uh they used to have a public facing element where you could you could buy a subscription and then watch like all of ricky rubio's assists or something like that i use that a ton which is great another thing is is jim pete's understanding of the game uh, i watched a lot of timberwolves and he's always struck me as you know as a as a color commentator you're not simply giving the facts of what's happening like you you want to be have a critical eye towards what's happening and he is always uh critical but not in a hot takey way, not in a sort of dogmatic or ideological way. He's simply critical of the game itself. And a lot of times through an analytical lens in a way that I think is correct. Like he doesn't, he doesn't poo poo, you know, the eye test. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, act like all the stuff that people have thought about sports has been unimportant. And now we've discovered numbers and it's, we've solved the problem, but he uses numbers so well uses that analytics. So with such respect to, to talk about the game uh, and just a terrific guy also uh, having dealt with him personally. Um, so shout out to Jim Pete. Uh, there's a couple, we got a lot of questions for you. Oh dear. Nobody cares about me. Uh, Glenn Williams wants to know how come Cal hasn't got a Birmingham accent. <laughs> so for those unaware, that's actually my father. Okay. In the question there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Williams now yeah. makes sense. Okay. Um, is what's, he, what's, is, what, what's the Twitter handle? I, I don't remember. I didn't like, I'm sorry. Uh, I just want to make sure it is just in case, cause there's it, plenty of Glenn Williams out there. It, it probably is. Um, it, it, sir, is it because you're ashamed of your hair? <laughs> is that the underlying message there? Um, no, I, 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 I guess I don't have a Birmingham accent because I haven't lived there for a long time. Slap, you know? Slapper 53. Yes. yes that's yeah, my father. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, give him a follow. Right it's interesting. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't bet these questions. Um, <sighs> dad, you know, I don't have a Birmingham accent because, um, I, I um, had 
slight training by the BBC for a little while. Uh, and I, I don't think I've ever had a Birmingham accent, to be honest, or stronger accent anyway. Uh, it, it comes out when I have a couple of shandies, sure. no doubt about it. Okay. Um, but um, I, I guess I, I haven't, you know, I haven't really lived in Birmingham over the course of the last nine or ten years. I've lived in Birmingham for two years, three years maybe, you know, at the max. So yeah. um, as long as I remain English, that's all I care about, really. <laughs> I will say this. I watched a video on the Birmingham accent, uh, some people talking about the elements of it. And th- you do have elements of it. Like mm. some of the things they talked about. They talked about what I believe, this is, this is a dialectical thing, but the intrusive K at the end of ING words. Like you will say goink. Like you'll get that oh, little, do I? Okay. you'll get a little bit of that K at the end sometimes. Um, but there's other things that you didn't have, uh, you know. So um, oh. anyways, like I think the short A, uh, like generally British would be chance, you know. Chance, and, yes, And yes. you don't say chance, but apparently in, in, in the Brummie, it will, it will be shorter like that. So Ooh, I don't know about that. Steve. Well, no, I can't, I can't <laughs> simulate it. When they, when they started talking, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I understand what they're like. They, they gave an example of it. I'm not going to call up the video right now, but anyways. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the K thing is a thing I have noticed with you. Okay. So, but uh, now I, I'm going to make you super. <laughs> <laughs> about that. Well, do you know what someone actually said to me when I was last in Birmingham, someone accused me of being posh. Oh, it's like, oh, come <laughs> off it. No chance. Yeah. I mean, I'm from Massachusetts and I'm from Western Mass, but people, when I went to college, were like, you don't have any accent at all. Like, you don't, I don't. No. So, um, yeah, sometimes it just doesn't, you know, doesn't filter through. I, I don't know what to say to yeah. people. I don't have a Birmingham accent, and, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine. All right, uh, let's get the last question. We have, uh, Maybe we'll talk a little soccer after this. Anyways, this is soccer. <laughs> Ryan Davis wants to know, who is each of your – this is – Sorry, I just copied this. Who is each of your player of the season so far? I believe he means your Minnesota United player of the season so far. He's picking Alonzo, which is totally, yeah, that's probably a fair shot. Totally to fine with me. I think in the early going, I might have said Metonier. You know, like in in that in that early run, I think that that was, um, I, he was the most obviously outstanding, and I think that like Ike and Ozzy's contributions were just were muted a little bit. Like we didn't appreciate fully, like how much they were going to contribute, I think. Um, and I think that, 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 I mean, Roman still is terrific, but uh, you know, he was gone for a big chunk. And then since he's come back, he hasn't seemed quite as, he hasn't quite captured the entire Metonier experience. You've seen it. I mean, you've seen him go back and tackle a guy and go the other way, like, mm-hmm. and uh, at full speed, which is terrific. Um, and so I think it's, it's probably either Ozzy or Ike, I think for me. Yeah. No argument for me at all. Yeah. Um, in terms of MLS, I think it's, it's difficult to look past Carlos Vela right now. Um, yes. Well, yeah. And in MLS overall, yes. Vela is probably it. So. Yeah. But in terms of Minnesota, yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, um, no disagreement. It's, it, it's either Ike or Aussie. No problem at all. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's briefly talk about what's happening this week. Uh, it, defeating the Rapids 1-0, uh, looking ahead to Orlando, uh, which is happening tomorrow. So yeah, win, win ugly, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> a win is a win as Kindred D. St. Auburn so eloquently says more often than not. Um, I, um, <laughs> the the game against the Rapids was was fine. It wasn't great. Yeah. Um, and a couple of years ago, Minnesota would have lost that game, no doubt. Um, I I I don't think it's a concern or a worry because Minnesota are creating chances, but that game should have been about three or four nil. Mm-hmm. I feel such an element of sympathy for Abu Dunladi right now who simply can't seem to buy a goal. Speaking of guys who need to get a goal. Right. Like Miguel. And, and, and also Angelo Rodriguez falls into that category, although I, I think the need is, is greater for Abu. But um, 
you know, uh, uh, I think Angelo hasn't scored in MLS since the Cincinnati 7-1 win. Yeah. Um, after that, he scored the hat-trick, obviously, against uh, New Mexico. But sure. um, he, he needs a goal. He really does. And, and, and again, how many times have we spoken on this podcast about his role? I, I am not convinced his main role is to score goals. That's not sure. the way that this system works and the way that, that he is as a centre-forward. Um We've noticed over the last couple of weeks, it's the three players behind him who are scoring goals. Now, they need to be more consistent for this to be deemed a success, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I, I, <laughs> I just would like Angelo Rodriguez or Abu Dunladi to find the back of the net because they have a, a humongous monkey on their back now that they simply need to get rid of big time. Yeah. It's, uh, what's kind of amazing to me is the, is the extent to which you can now talk about Minnesota United as being a defensive team, right. um, you know, after the last two seasons. Uh, and a lot of talk about how um, Adrian Heath is an attacking coach. He likes to get forward. He likes to possess the ball. He likes, he's, you know, he's the striker whisperer. Like he did so much work with Kyle Laren and, you know, it's like all of this stuff. Um, and yet what we find them doing is, I mean, I'm sure he would want to score more goals, but I think he's, he's, I think he deserves a lot of credit for, for the way the team is playing defensively and for leaning into that and saying yep. like, if that's, if that's the identity, then that's the identity. I mean, and he says it, he's like, it should have been three or four nil, but one nil is one nil, you know, it's a win. And it is also just striking to go to a point where I feel like in the last couple of years, it was always, you know, the, um, a win, Every time Minnesota United won, it was like, well, what did we do right? Like, how did that look? How do you keep doing that? Is this is this the moment when it starts turning around? It's kind of refreshing to win a game and just be like, well, it was a win. We needed three points. Let's move on, you know, um, <laughs> which is kind of which is kind of a good position to be in. Uh, I was curious about your f- take on Robin Lud so far uh, and what you've seen from him. I mean, he's still sort of getting into the team and getting yeah. into shape. Um, I feel like I really like what he brings to that attacking midfield position because it's different than what we have in any of the other players. I think you look at they're not they're not the same, right? These players are not equivalent to each other. But you look at Quintero and Molino as a kind of you know crafty playmaker who can also score, and then you look at Finlay and Arbara who are sort of relentless runners with speed. Um, and I feel like Lud brings a kind of cerebralness mm-hmm. to, to the, the position a little bit, like a little bit of a central midfield. Um, he's very confident on the ball, fantastic feet, yes, you know, holds the things. ball. Uh, but it, when he's getting the ball, there's a lot of that sense of, of, of watching the way the, the, the opposition is moving and then looking for places to put it in, not in a, um, I mean, it's, it's attacking, but you know, I just feel like he's got a little more of that distribution feel, but also obviously can, can hit the ball, can hit the snot out of the ball in a shot. So I, you know, he's not, the, he's not gonna be a fast player necessarily. Um, but I, I like, I like what he can contribute, um, in that role. There's an element of calm and, and peace when he has the ball actually yeah. at, at his feet. And I remember there was one game, I think it was against Portland uh, in the open cup where he opted to dribble inside, evading a challenge. And, and he went straight into you know, three or four Portland Timbers players. And I thought, well, right, here we, here we go. We're going to lose the ball. And he dribbled through them um, with relative ease. And I thought, oh, wow. Um, he's not the fastest and that's okay um, because his passing ability is fabulous. His footwork, as we've already alluded to, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will say, let, let's not forget that Robin Lerd has just come off the back of a full European season. Right. Um, 
and, and then not playing for a while and now coming in the middle of another season. Exactly. But, yeah. Um, it's kind of like, didn't Nani have that kind of situation where it was like, he didn't get a whole off season? Uh, sort of, but Nani joined Orlando at the start of the season. So, right. I was trying, there was something that was just, maybe I'm misremembering who it was, but it was somebody where it was like, they, they, they were supposed to be a big signing. They didn't perform that well, but you had to sort of remember, like they had just finished a season and then they had just started another season mm. with almost nary a break in between them. But anyways, this is the thing that happens with international football, where it's like a guy has been out of season for a month. And so he's sort of gone, gone to pot yep. <laughs> and they have to get back in, get back into shape or else they've just started a season or they've just completed a season and they're exhausted. You know, yes. so yeah, so obviously, what we're going to see from him it, overall is not there yet. But I think these elements of of the way he plays are, are interesting. Yeah, I think we've seen probably about seventy percent of Robin Lerd right now. Yeah, and I'm really intrigued to see what a one hundred percent Lerd looks like. Um, you know, this is a player, obviously. One hundred percent pure <laughs> Okay, I had to go there. I can. <laughs> this is uh, somebody, obviously, that Adrian Heath has watched for for a, a year or two. Um, and uh, I, I think he brings something different to, to what we have in those wide areas, as you said, uh, wide areas and in inverted commas. But, um, you know, he, he is uh, he's very different to what Minnesota have. And that's never a bad thing, having, having another option. So yeah. um, we'll wait and see. But um, I, I'm intrigued to see how he is used now in the remaining nine, ten games in this season. But um, technically flawless, absolutely fabulous. Um, I thought he was going to hit the free kick actually against Colorado the past weekend. Yeah. The angle favored his left foot, but, um, you know, there was an element of seniority with Darwin Quintero hitting sure. the free kick, which I, I understand, but, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do moving forward for Minnesota. Yeah. I'll be, I mean, obviously I think there's a lot of, there's positional flexibility. They, uh, uh, Adrian has talked about how he can play centrally. He can play out wide. I know he's talked about, um, Chacon as, as playing out wide, uh, also on the left side, possibly. So, yep. you know, it lineups that you might see, you know, this year at times or down in the future with load more in that central role, Chacon out on the left wing, um, you know, pending, obviously a decision has to be made about Darren Quintero and his contract coming up after the, after the season. So, um, you know, like there's a lot of flexibility there and it's good to get guys who can do a lot of different things. So, um, seeing load as a number 10 might be kind of fun as well. So. Yeah. Which I think is, is absolutely possible. He's played in central midfield before for um, Panathinaikos and played in central midfield in the Champions League as well. So he's more than capable. So yeah. um, isn't it wonderful to have <laughs> such depth? Yes. It's fabulous. It's terrific. Uh, anything you would like to highlight about Orlando City? Obviously, the overriding narrative will be and continues to be it being where Adrian Heath was before he came to Minnesota, um, which is what most people are hammering on. Also, Minnesota has not lost to Orlando yet. So. <laughs> Um, Orlando are on um, about as an inconsistent run as possible. Yeah, they do well at home. They've got three away victories all season. Um, but as you insinuated, Steve, there's there's more to this game than it just being a regular football match. There's pride. There's passion um, behind this particular fixture. Um, with it being Adrian and the majority of the coaching staff's former stomping ground. Also, Kevin Molino spoke to the press today uh, at training on, on Friday morning, and and he said, um, you know, look, it, it's difficult to not view it as as something personal. Sure. Um, and let's not forget, Molino didn't play against Orlando when they came to Minnesota in 2017 because he was ill, I believe. Mm -hmm. And in 2018, obviously, he did his knee in um, right. after 20 minutes or so. Yep. So this will be the first real time and real opportunity for Molino to play against his former employer mm -hmm. um, and with the way he's playing at the moment I don't think there's a better time for him to do that so um, they're very organized defensively um, 
I I would assume they because they've played an abundance of different formations. I think James O'Connor is still really trying to figure out what's the best fit for for the players he has. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if he came in and played a four three three and tried to to pack the central midfield. Sure. Um, and perhaps um, you know, try and and limit the amounts of of times the ball gets to Darwin Quintero. So I'd expect the ball to be out wide for Minnesota a fair bit. Um. Will the pace of Molino be able to stretch the back line, who are usually fairly compact and well-organized? Um, the centre-half, the Swedish centre-half, uh, Jansen has, has been fabulous. Not, not quite in Defender of the Year category, but he's been very good for them as mm-hmm. well. Um, so um, it, it's going to be an intriguing game, no doubt. Uh, and, and look, the, the main threat for them is obviously Dom Dwyer. And Nani has been playing a number 10 in and out for the, the last couple of games. Traditionally a wide player. Um, had tremendous success with Manchester United out there and um, was recently playing with with Lazio and, and Sporting Lisbon uh, and Fenerbahce and Valencia and, and an abundance of, of top European clubs. Um, the emergence of Müller has forced him inside, to my knowledge, and, and the people that I've spoken to in Orlando. Um, but the, the main threat is Dom Dwyer because he will press and he will make things awkward. Um, for the likes of Boxall and Opara. And, and I I do worry that it'll stretch the Minnesota United back line. I wonder, will one of the fullbacks who are, are usually very aggressive, I wonder, will one of them be a little more reserved this time? Sure. Um, and I wonder what the central midfielders are going to do. Are they going to be a little deeper because of, of this as well? So um, we'll see, we'll see. But, but Dom Dwyer, no doubt, is, is the main outlet for Orlando. He's not a great season for his standards. He, he knows that. Um, and I'm sure he will love nothing more um, then to score against his former coach. Remember, obviously, Adrian, he had him at USL. He scored right. 15 goals in 13 games, a USL record uh, in 2013 at that time. Um, the two get along very, very well indeed. Um, and uh, I'm sure Dom Dwyer would love a goal against his former coach. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for the 70th Sound of the Loons podcast. Thanks for your questions as well. That was a lot of fun. Minnesota United's next game is on Saturday, August 17th at home against Orlando City. Kickoff is set for 7 p.m. Central Time. That game is on Fox Sports North+. Plus. Yes. Be sure to leave us. That wasn't a question. That was a confident statement. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, was a retor- it wasn't even a rhetorical question. <laughs> Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at Cal Williams and me at Steve Ventures. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you. And people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>